All right, well, last week we uh, left off um, most of the way through John chapter 20 with Jesus having come to the disciples and revealing his, the nature of his physical resurrection to them. Uh, well, no, but not all the disciples. There was one who was missing. And so we're going to pick that up in John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Oh, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. All right, let's just start where we all know is true, shall we? That when it comes to things of faith, every one of us carries some level of doubt at some point in time. And it's true for everyone, even the best of us. I mean, think about John the baptizer, right? I mean, this guy knew what was going on. He could stand in front of hundreds of people... And he could point out Jesus and say, hey, there he is. There goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says that over and over and over again, sending disciples to be with him, all kinds of things. But then what? Maybe 18, 24 months later, not sure exactly how long, but it wasn't that long, he finds himself in jail, and he finds that Jesus is not doing what he thought Jesus ought to be doing, and so he sends some disciples to say, Lord, uh, are you the one who was to come, or should we be expecting another? John doubted. And the disciples, of course, they, we would think that the disciples would be a group that would certainly have unshakable certainty, right? Well, Luke tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he went to his disciples and immediately said, take a look at my hands, take a look at my feet, take a look at my side. It's me. And then Luke says, but they still didn't believe. So Jesus went the next step and said, give me something to eat. I want to show you that I'm physically here. Jesus wanted to make the extra effort to let them know that he really had risen physically from the dead. This was not an apparition. This was not some kind of vision. And later, while on the mountain in Galilee, Matthew tells us that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, in their defense, we need to be able to say that the, they were really wrestling with a reality that was so way outside of what they could have been able to see in the past. You know, This was really hard. And we all know that eventually they came to a point of overcoming their doubts, of believing Jesus rose from the dead, and being able to proclaim that to the rest of the world, even at the cost of their lives. But it makes me wonder, where does faith begin? And how does doubt start? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing God's word. And so what happens is God shares something with us. I mean, everything that Jesus spoke was from God, right? It was his words, the Father's words. The scriptures are God's word to us. And so God shares his word with us, and then we take it and then we begin to believe it. 
The very first time this happened to me, I remember, I was, I was about 18 years old, 1979, and uh, the, the statement that was before me was, God is real, and he loves me more than I can possibly imagine. Now, I'd heard that statement before, but up till that time, I had doubted it pretty significantly. But then new evidence had been brought into my life that made me think, you know, this is real. And so I went all in. I believed it. And when I went all in to believe that, it opened up other options for me because now I had another step of faith to take. Because the next statement that came was that God wants me to know him, to have a relationship with him, and that he is intimately involved and engaged in my life even when things aren't going well for me. See, if I say that he is real and he loves me, the question is, will I pursue him even when things are a little bit tight and difficult? Now, early on in life, I might doubt his presence because I'm going through a difficulty, and that difficulty might be a bad grade on a test, right? That's where I was at the time. Later on, that difficulty, that trial, might be a prolonged illness for myself or my family or a terminal diagnosis or some other struggle. But along the way, the weight of the faith continues to get, to get strong. The, the, strength the strength of the faith grows stronger as the weight of the doubt and the weight of the trial grows bigger so that it can manage what's coming. See, our faith is given the chance to grow when we reach different points of uncertainty. Like John, we find ourselves in prison, we find ourselves in a difficult situation, and we say, was I wrong? Is what I believe still right in the midst of even these circumstances? And we can fully understand the man that Jesus was talking to when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The man said, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You know, I believe up to a point, and I'm looking at something right now that's just too big, it's too heavy for me to lift. I need your help. I'm doubting a bit. The faith is like that muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. And each trial is an opportunity for our faith to grow. And eventually, along life's path, we all run across these moments where we come across something that just feels too heavy to lift. It seems like that what we're experiencing contradicts the very things that we believe. And so, when that happens, doubt enters in. Okay, so we've leveled the playing field. When it comes to doubt, Thomas was not an anomaly among the disciples. You know, Even back then and even today, all the disciples doubt at some point in time. And back then, they were doubting Jesus rose from the dead. And Thomas wasn't the only one needing more evidence to this fact. They all needed to be convinced, and Jesus was quick to prove that he had risen physically from the dead. He was quick to supply them what they needed. Now, these disciples had already grown in faith, hadn't they? I mean, so as little boys, they were growing up to learn that God's word contained truth. And part of that truth was that there's only one true and living God, and it's the God Yahweh, the one that they were following. And that from time to time, this amazing God, who was high and lifted up and greatly exalted and beyond reach from human beings, that this, that this wonderful God appeared from time to time in physical form, to some people along the way. He did this with Abraham, he did this with Jacob, he did this with Samuel, he did this with others. And so now they were standing in front of this opportunity to believe that this same God was before them in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh, he is the anointed Messiah, he's the Son of God and the Son of Man who came to offer his own life as the once for all perfect sacrifice. That was what they were trying to believe. 
And if the disciples are not able to be all in on this one point, then this new covenant is not going to get very far. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, that it's the resurrection that proves that Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Christ, the Messiah, He is the Lord. And when Paul talks about Jesus being Lord, he's talking about Jesus being God Almighty Himself. So the resurrection validates everything else Jesus said and did as being true and trustworthy. Because if Jesus only rose spiritually, or if he only rose as a vision that they all saw, if his resurrection was not physical, then as the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, among all the people in the world, we are the most to be pitied, because our faith is in utter vain. So the disciples needed to be all in for this one belief, and Jesus was giving them what they needed to do that. He only had a short period of time before he was going to leave, so he wanted to give them the information to make this faith a certainty. They needed to make that leap and to embrace it. And it kind of reminds me of a time years ago in my mid-20s when I was uh, swimming in a water hole, swimming hole, uh, just outside of Robbins, Tennessee. And this is one of those classic swimming holes in the South. You know, it's, it was, it's small, but it's deep, and it's cold, and it's spring-fed, and you can't see more than six feet down before it just turns into murky darkness. And some of the locals would tell us that it's, it's really deep, and that over the decades, um, certain things had been discarded in this hole as a way to hide evidence from crimes that had been done. So they said that cars had been dumped in there, that safes had gone in, firearms had gone in, uh, and they did, the people put them in there because it was so deep they couldn't be retrieved. Well, alongside one wall of this swimming hole was a very tall cliff, so tall that only a few people were jumping off of it. And for some reason, in my young male mind, I got the idea it would be fun to do a swan dive off that sucker. So I, I, I went up the hill, and I thought it would be a fun idea until I looked over the side. <laughs> From that new perspective, it looked a little different. And I had to wrestle it through a little bit. I stood up there a long while thinking about what I was trying to do. I thought, you know, I, I really don't know any of these people that are telling me this is a deep hole. I don't know anybody, so I don't know if can I trust them. I mean, I, I, might, I might be the guy that jumps off and lands on a hidden stump, or maybe the bumper of a 62 Chevy Impala. You know, who knows what I'm going to bump into down there. But at the same time, everyone else who's jumping is just fine. So it seems like it's going to be a safe experience. At that time, I had faith that it was going to work out, but I had some pretty strong doubts, too, and I was working through the doubts. And there was one point where I thought, okay, I think I really want to do this. I, I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. And if I, ever, if I have to crawl back down the side of this hill without jumping off this thing, I'm always going to wonder, what did I miss? So I tightened the drawstring on my swimsuit, made sure that my landing space was without people, stepped back, and I went all in. And I hurled myself out into the unknown, and it was well worth the experience. Once we take that first step, it changes everything. That first step is the step that says, okay, I believe that God exists. Once we make that step, we go all in. Then we've got more steps we've got to take. Like, what kind of God is he? Are you going to believe that he is a God that the scriptures have revealed, that he loves you, that he's omnipotent, that he's caring, that he's always with you? Are you going to believe in a God that maybe is more akin to culture and what people say, that while he may be loving and good, he's impotent and can't really help you out in everything? 
Maybe he's uncaring. Maybe he's distant. Maybe he's just the absentee landlord. See, at some point in life, every one of us needs to make a choice and go all in for what we believe. And that choice makes a profound difference in the choices that come beyond that. As human beings, we all get to choose. Now, we cannot choose the level of our certainty, but we can choose the convictions to which we will commit. And so the leap is our free choice to make a full commitment to something based on the evidence that we see, evidence that's never fully enough, because that's what faith is about. The disciples saw the scars, touched his body, watched him eat, and at some point, they made the leap. They fully embraced the truth that Jesus had, rose, had been risen physically from the dead. They didn't fully know what this commitment meant, but they had received enough to go all in and make that leap. We hear that in Thomas's words, right? Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And by not correcting him, Jesus was affirming that Thomas was accurate. Now the phrase, my Lord and God, that's an Old Testament phrase pointing to Yahweh, the one true God. So Thomas was making a profound statement of faith here. And Jesus affirmed that statement of faith, and then he told us what to expect. He said, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who are going to believe who have not seen. That's you and me. Because Thomas was able to believe from what he saw, but there would soon come a time when people will only have the apostolic witness before them. Jesus is not going to give a physical manifestation to every person as a way to help them believe. At some point today, there's faith involved with this. Now, I think it's interesting to note that Thomas had questions, and he asked for evidence. And, and Thomas is doubting Thomas's questions are so beautiful because they give us a path we can follow as long as we hold the timeline a little loosely. He had questions. Jesus answered those questions in a week. Mm. He was in a hurry, Jesus was. He had 40 days before he was going to leave, so he had some things he had to take care of. But the timeline's likely different for us. But the path can be the same. So go ahead and ask the Lord for evidence. Go ahead and ask him your questions. Don't hide your doubt from him. Go ahead and pull it out. Don't be afraid of it. Look at it. Examine it. Turn it around. Find out where its roots are. Where is this thing getting nourished? What's its source? Why is it there? And then as you're talking to the Lord about it, do what Thomas did. Also talk with your trusted friends. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm not sure how this fits in with this particular doctrine and why I believe this and how this fits. And I don't know what to do with this. Look at it. Talk to Jesus. Tell them what you need. Talk to friends. Ask them what's going on in their own hearts. Because remember, this is all the level playing field. They have doubts too. You're not alone in this. Do that and watch what the Lord does. The answer may not come quickly, but it will come. And whatever you do, don't let your faith be buried, okay? Oh, not faith. Don't let your doubt be buried. Because if you take doubt and say, oh, I can't look at that, and we bury it for a while, it might go underground for 10, 15, 20 years, and when it comes back, it comes back in a stronger form, an uglier form, a more damaging form. So when you find it, deal with it when it's young, before it gets too big. See, both faith and doubt are needed. But faith is more fundamental. Faith is more important. Faith is more foundational because you can build on that faith. right? John Ortberg puts it this way. 
I must believe something before I can doubt anything. Doubt is to belief what darkness is to light, what sickness is to health. It's an absence. Sickness may be the absence of health, but health is more than the absence of sickness. So it is with doubt and faith. Doubt is a good servant, but a poor master. Theologian Leslie Newbegin says that we live in a culture that favors doubt over faith. But he also adds this. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. <laughs> to choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. See, if doubt is our starting point, if doubt is the master that we listen to first, we're immobilized. We can't go anywhere. We're not going to grow. I need to believe something before I can doubt it. Belief and faith comes first. Now, true faith, to be true faith, always requires a level of uncertainty. For instance, let me see if I can find it here. Where did I put that thing? Ah, here it is. For instance, in my hand right now, I am holding a 1923 silver peace dollar from the United States Mint. Do you believe me? Some people right now are thinking, well, Rob's a trustworthy sort, uh, uh, so it's probably true, but then again, this is a sermon illustration, so maybe he's making it up. And others are thinking, you know, that's oddly specific of him to say that. <laughs> so it's probably true, but then again, who's got one of those laying around their house to bring into worship on Sunday morning? So all you have right now is my word, the testimony of my word, that there's a 1923 peace silver dollar in my hand. I'm going to ask you, there's no, there's no problem, it's, who believes me? Oh, oh, thank you guys, that's great, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, here's what I'm going to do now. Art, you agreed? I'm going to destroy your faith. What is that? Can't read it, can you? It is a 1923 silver dollar, it's a peace dollar commemorating the end of the World War I. Pieces on the bottom of the, of, the, of the eagle at the back, and 1923 is on the front. I am destroying the value by touching it. I knew somebody would say that. I took it out of its case, and I'm going to clean it before we're done. <laughs> it's all fine. <laughs> but you see, what happens is I destroy the faith when certainty comes, when the evidence is fully there. You don't need to believe by faith anymore. But the problem is, in where we live right now in, in a redemptive time frame of things, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, so God is saying, he's giving us words. He's giving us things for us to believe. He's given it to us in his word saying, will you believe it? Will you take me at my word and live as though it makes a difference? 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, for now we know in part. It's like we're looking at all that God is doing as if it's a reflection in some kind of piece of polished metal. It's like, I think I recognize that. It looks like it fits what I believe. I think it's true. 
But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And we're going to see things face to face. Revelation 20 and 21, when God comes to make His dwelling among people, and when it's God Himself who wipes away every tear from every eye, and when His presence destroys death and decay and pain and sorrow, when that takes place, we'll see Him face to face. We won't need faith anymore because our faith will be our eyes. But for now, for now, we need faith, and faith always carries with it the certainty of doubt coming close on its heels. It's almost like our life is spent in that Saturday between Good Friday and Easter morning, you know? That, that time of unrelenting sadness where uh, every circumstance seems to reinforce the doubt that we feel. And as we live in that day that seems to never end, we do know that Sunday's coming because we put our trust, our hope, in what God has said. In, in, a, in a day of resurrection, God, even though we are living in a Saturday of sorrow world. So our current lack of certainty is a necessary part of our preparation for what is to come. How can a good God allow all this evil in the world? If God cares about me so much, why doesn't he use some of that power to help me out a little bit? And if I'm so precious to him, how is it that, that I feel so badly about myself? See, we need to live with and work through our doubt and our questions. We do that with the Lord. We do that with one another. We do that with the Word. We've got to live in and live with and live through those doubts and questions because our lack of certainty teaches us to trust. It pushes us to seek. It causes us to grow. And as we practice responding to life's circumstances in a way that more faithfully aligns with what Jesus has said, God's word, as we practice responding to life's circumstances in a way that aligns with what Jesus said more than in a way that aligns with what you'd expect from the world, God is pleased with the faith that we show. And the Holy Spirit is, is released in us to do the transforming work that he's made to do that he's here to do so that we can become more like him and one day be like him fully when we see him face to face. And all of this leads to us becoming more faithful to the one who made us and more faithful to those around us. More faithful to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To more faithful to love our neighbor as ourself. And more faithful to pour out God's love onto this needy world. And I have a hunch that God is more interested in our faithfulness than he is in the certainty that we have right now. You see, though I have not seen him or touched him, I know for certain that he rose physically from the dead. And I believe it to the core of my being, and this belief opens the way for a life I could never know elsewise. There are all kinds of choices and decisions along the way. The resurrection validated as true all that Jesus said and did. There really is a heavenly Father who loves me more than I can know, who's always with me and never leave me or forsake me. And as I've journeyed that path, regularly I come across things that seem too heavy to lift, that seem contrary to the things that I believe. And at that point, I need to trust enough to say, I don't have the certainty, but I've got enough to move on. Because I don't have the certainty yet, but I do have enough 
to tighten the drawstring on my swimsuit, to go all in and take that leap again. And so how about you? What step of faith is before you today? Maybe you've never expressed that level of faith in Jesus Christ for whatever reason. Well, for the last eight months, we've been going through the Gospel of John. John says that these stories were written so that we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. If that's you, what level of evidence do you need that's more to get you enough so that you can make that leap? My guess is you already have it. So what's stopping you now? Or maybe you've been a little further on down that road of faith and you're facing a challenge of faith right now and you're not sure what to do with it. It's bringing up questions. It's making you wonder, what more do you need to be able to tighten that drawstring and take the step to walk away from doubt and commit yourself to that new idea? Go ahead. Ask the Lord for it. Go ahead. Talk to your friends about it. Go ahead. Examine the doubt and question it and look at it. Don't be afraid of it. God knows what it is. He's got an answer for you. Go ahead and do that and see how the Lord responds. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, in the end, our faith and our hope is not in a doctrine we believe in. It's not in a promise we wait for. It's in a person. Our faith and our hope are in you alone. So we trust you to fulfill all you said. We trust you to make it true and to bring all that we hope for to reality. We trust you for what is, and we trust you for what will be. And so, Lord, in this moment, we, uh, we express our trust, Lord, by continuing this prayer of surrender to you alone. And I just want to encourage us as a congregation, as we sing this closing song, to allow this to continue to be the prayer, your prayer of your heart, even with the doubts, even with the uncertainties, the best of your ability, taking all that you know of yourself to all that you understand about God and surrendering it back to him today.